Welcome to the MIND podcast. MIND stands for Michigan's New Educators. This podcast is a place where new educators and their guests offer encouragement and insight into a profession understood by few, but talked about by many. So whether you are an educator, love an educator, want to be an educator, or just want to learn more about us, we're glad you're here. Each episode features early career educators and guests brought together by the Michigan Education Association. The MEA is here to help educators at all stages of their careers. That's the school bell, signaling it's time to start. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our Mind Podcast. I'm Annette Christensen. And I am Danielle Baranowski. And we are the state organizers for Mind, the Michigan New Educators. And we are so glad you are here. And as we said last time, Michigan New Educators is a group that's committed to keeping early career educators passionate and engaged and empowered in the field of education. And our goal is to ensure that you're feeling supported while you navigate the world of education in your career. But as we talked about last time, sometimes you're not feeling all that fired up and all that you know, you had all that energy going into the profession and you're going to hit years where you have a great year and then years where you're just doing the best you can to get through it. Mm -hmm. And so we decided this year, we often do book studies, virtual book studies, which we hope you join us for. But we also, this year, we sort of changed it up and Danielle found this great book called From Burnt Out to Fired Up by Morgan or Morgane Michael. And we thought the next few podcasts, we would take parts of the book and talk about how it is relevant to both Danielle and myself, as well as for some of you, maybe these are the things that you're feeling Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day, in your profession and in your life, because we know that being a teacher is such a big part of who you are as a person. You know, once you're a teacher, you're kind of always a teacher. And so, um, if you, if you find these times where you're struggling a little bit, hopefully some of the things that are contained in this book and that we'll talk about will give you just that, that push to be able to get over that rough patch and mm-hmm. to continue to do one of, if not the most important jobs on the planet. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what I found so amazing about this book, though I'm not in the classroom anymore, I have had so many takeaways from it that I've just needed to do myself and reinvesting back into myself as a person and, you know, step away from being a mom and sometimes work and things of sorts like that. Um, And I think we're going to, if this is a great way to start is our, it talks about the six universal emotional needs and how so often um, educators fall into two or so categories um, that best fit their emotional needs and how they align with um, what they need as a person. And those six are certainty, uncertainty, significance, belonging, growth, and contribution. And you're probably thinking as I read those already, oh, I think I'm that type of person, but we're gonna talk a little bit more about what each of them mean and how they might be relevant to you as an educator. and as a parent or just as someone surviving day to day, right? So, all right, so let's start with certainty. And the way the author describes it is she says, it's essential that we feel a sense of security as we take risks and live our lives. When that sense of certainty is threatened, individuals will assert their power and influence on a situation in order to ensure a manufactured sense of predictability. I remember when we were doing this, like we said, this is a book study and someone had said when they don't know what's going to happen, they feel very out of sorts and very uncomfortable. And I feel that so often, you know, a lot of teachers fall into that category in the sense that they want to know, you know, what their day is going to look like structurally. Um, Some of them enjoy knowing the curriculum, like what's what curriculum is given to them while others might want, want more autonomy or so on and so forth. Um, but I remember one saying that again, COVID-19 threw that all up in a stretch for her. like every day was completely different and she was all misaligned because of it, which so many of us were, how could you not be, you know? Right. I think I'm a hundred percent. I love certainty. 
Yeah. You can deal sure. with anything the se- once I know what to expect. And my daughter, who's an adult, and I have had this conversation a lot because she's much more of a risk taker in everything. And so mm-hmm. she was talking about something and I, it was something related to a job. And I said, well, you know me, I don't take any risks when it comes to jobs. I'm very, very cautious and very, very careful and everything is planned out. And part of that is probably because I was a single mom forever. Sure. But also part of it is that I I would never be able to own my own business because I couldn't handle the uncertainty of that. I like the mm-hmm. certainty of a paycheck. I like the certainty of the job I'm doing still being there. And anytime yeah. there's uncertainty associated with it, I struggle. Now, that doesn't mean that I, it's interesting that certainty is such an important thing, but yet as a teacher, every single day, there is a level of uncertainty like, you know, oh yeah, fire alarm or a kid have a meltdown or just anything strange can happen any day at any time. And that part doesn't bother me. It's just sort of the big stuff that I have to know. Well, and I think that so goes to talk, like that just speaks to how ingrained it is in us to deal with, with uncertainty in that respect, but being certain in how we're going to react or address it or mold to whatever needs to be handled. You know, so often again, that flip, Oh, someone's having a meltdown. This is what I, A, B, C, and D has to happen or whatever, it, whatever it may be. I mean, I, I look at all of these and I already know like which ones stick out most to me and which one I think I most align with, but I already know I'm falling. You, It's a scale. I fall into certainty. I fall into every single one of these, even just a little bit. You know, certain, I'm a definitely a certainty person too. I need to know what's going on. I have my lists, my to-do lists, and I have to be checking them off. And I feel all discombobulated if I didn't get to something on my list. Um, and knowing that I have to add that to my list tomorrow and stress me out (laughs) and like that will throw me out of all, out of whack. Do you ever do the, I, I did this just last night, actually, the notes on your phone. Oh yeah. I'm laying in bed thinking about what I did today and how things went. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to do this. And I need to make sure I do that. And then throw, you know, get up and not get up because I was laying there and the phone was right there, but then putting it on my notes. Yeah. And part of that for me is because then once it's there, then I can relax a little bit because I know, okay, I will be able to get to that when I get to it, but at mm-hmm. least I won't forget it and then have another middle of the night nightmare. Yeah. About it not being done. Yeah. Did you ever read the book, um, The Five Love Languages? Yes, I did. Love that book. And what I think is most important about that and this is the idea that it's helpful for us to know how the people who are closest to us feel about these same things so that we can communicate more effectively. Because if your husband was a person who doesn't value certainty and loves, you know, to just live by the by the seat of his pants or however, whatever that yeah. expression is, that would be a potential area of conflict. I yeah. went on a road trip with two friends of mine who, uh, and we we took an RV. The one had been in RVs her entire life and drove mm-hmm. it and all of that. And she is one of those people who like, you know, just sort of has a general plan. We have to be in Maine by this date. But where we stopped along the way was totally whatever. And then the other friend, these are both teachers, the other friend is a planner and every stop was planned out and she did all this research and all of this stuff. And I was somewhere in the middle of the two of them where I can have some fun and just do whatever, but I do sort of like to have a plan as well. So it's really interesting to see that dichotomy between people and to see how we all were able to function well together because, you know, we knew where each other stood on that level and on that issue. Well, it's so funny in you saying that, I just think about, again, how different aspects of my life, I value these in different places, you know, as well. Like certainty, again, for work, as you've said, like that's something I need in my, my professional life. I need certainty. That's something... But if we're going camping and we don't have really a plan and there's where my husband is the opposite, he has to know what trails we're hiking and A, B, C, and D when we're there. 
And I'm like, I just want to sit around the fire and enjoy a good drink and eat a s'more or 16. So <laughs> that's it. But anyways, and then leading us to, are you done with certainty? I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I think we're done it. with certainty. We'll probably come back to it, but I guess the question is, you already talked about in your curriculum and things like that, but I think the other issue related to your job is that need for you to feel like you have some control. I know, yeah. I know educators. Well, I thought that that potential law was so ridiculous about you had to post all your lessons and stuff at the beginning of the Be year. That's the exact opposite of what teaching is because yeah. I I can show you the lessons that I had, you know, when I taught advanced placement, we did every unit was based on a philosophical question. And in the mm -hmm. beginning, we would talk about all of the different philosophies associated with that question. So the question might be like, what is good? And we talk about morality and all of these things, which were great critical thinking skills for the kids. Sometimes they would say my head hurts at the end of the day. And sometimes those conversations would go multiple days. And so mm -hmm. is it better to keep the conversation going and the learning going or, you know, so it goes back to the, should we cover in depth or should we cover the breadth? So is it more important to read more books and stories and poems, or is it more important to really be able to dive deeply into the ones that we cover? And so I think I was, I, you know, I just let it go however long it went, which in some ways is challenging or not challenging. But the other thing that I see sometimes that that districts do, which I think is really unfortunate, although I understand why they sometimes have to, is you not knowing what classes you were going to teach, what oh, hours you're yeah. going to teach them, what grade you're going to teach. The idea of you being able to be moved willy-nilly like that it, or not have your own classroom or any of that stuff, I think is really, really challenging for people yeah. who really value certainty. And it really, when you think about it, they tend to do it to the newest teachers. Yes. Yep. And that I firsthand experience, it was 2020 and they were collapsing. They were doing all this weird stuff all in, in addition to, to COVID. And there was rumor someone from the fourth grade team, which I was fourth grade, was getting moved to first grade. And I was sick because I was the new one. Like I was still the newbie. And I was so stressed out in the sense that like fourth grade was my comfort zone. And I know it doesn't sound like maybe someone might not think fourth to first is not a huge jump, but it is. I think it's, it's huge. And I it's teach huge, you know, we're no longer just learning. They were learning to read in first grade, where in fourth grade, they're reading to learn, you know, it's comprehension based. It was different. And I was so stressed out because I just didn't know if I could handle a whole new grade level in addition to living with COVID and everything else. And I just remember being so lost and stressed and crying. And I don't know if they sensed it and they just didn't get moved. But... Maybe. <laughs> hey, it worked. But uh, I didn't get moved. Um, but it Did just put everything up into chaos. It was just chaos anyways. But that, I totally cope with that. I understand that 100%. And that's the thing too about finding out at the last minute. I yeah. was fortunate when I got my job way back when I found out in June. Yeah. And so I had all summer to prep the classes that I wanted to prep. They were cool about giving me the books and all of that stuff. And back mm -hmm. then you had a lot of autonomy about what novels and stuff you taught. Mm -hmm in the English classes. And so the department chairs took me in the book room and said, you know, 10th grade is American lit. So you can choose any of these novels. 11th grade is, or I think 11th was American lit. 10th was supposed to be world lit, but it was Western, Western lit. And then, um, you know, 11th grade was American lit. These are the books you can choose from. And these are the ones that we've taught and they get, gave them to me and I had all summer to prep them. But I know a lot of teachers, especially that first year, get hired in late August. And part of that, I get it from the district's perspective. They don't really know for sure how many kids they're going to have, right? How many kids in each grade they're going to have, if they're going to need an extra grade. And I think they think it's easier for newer teachers to be adaptable because they don't really have you know, they're not in love with their curriculum or their grade level, but in a lot of ways, it's even harder because they're just trying to figure out everything. Yep. You're just trying to breathe in your first, like, I mean, that's what you're spending so much time is just figuring out how you're delivering content. And then the next year, it's a little easier in that sense, because you can, you can tweak it and adapt it. And then the third year, you're kind of feeling like, 
oh, I've done this a couple of times now, you know, and when they throw that wrench in things, it's just, again, you're reinventing the wheel and starting all over again. And I'm not to say that that doesn't feel like that way when you're a veteran teacher as well, but you're just surviving in those first handful of right. years. And as a veteran yeah. teacher, you know how to teach a novel. Right. And they can just give you a new novel. So as soon as you like the novel, if you like the novel, it's helpful. I've had, there are things like the Canterbury Tales that I didn't really like teaching. Mm-hmm. And so I had to figure out ways to entertain myself. But it, I was learning that not when I was trying to learn everything else. Right. Right. And so we get how tough that is. We get why the district does thing, has to do things from an economic standpoint, the way that they do it. But it's really, really hard on people, especially a person where certainty is a big thing. Sure. And I was always well prepared for class. Uh Always. I would, you know, I mean, even if I would have had to stay up super late and get up super early, I made sure that I was well prepared. I was not and still am not a person who can sort of fly by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing a, a training on Monday. I made sure that yesterday I looked at it. Right. Sure. I knew what I was going to be talking about, even though I've done the training before. Yeah. So, yep. No. And I think that brings us to the other side of the coin is when those that align with uncertainty. Uh, which says those who seek out uncertainty and variety in their lives are seeking unpredictable outcomes. Often they are thrill seeker- seekers who are energized by the momentum that comes from having to think and react on their feet. And I also highlighted variety adds a sense of excitement and welcome unpredictability of life. So for the most part, that stresses me out. Mm-hmm. Just about everything outside, like I said, outside of like camping and things like that, that are meant to be a relaxing like vacations and things of sorts like that. I don't really want to plan everything out. I don't want to be going. I want to relax. I like the, if we want to go somewhere, we go somewhere today kind of thing, you know? Right. I I don't do well professionally. Oh, not at all. Day to day in my day to day life uncertainty as well. Right. You know? I mean, I think that you have to have, like in a, in a role as a Unicert director, you have to, or an executive director, you have to have a little bit of um, tolerance for uncertainty because you may, you think you're going to go in and you're going to prep for bargaining and then all of a sudden a teacher gets in trouble or there's mm-hmm. a lockdown or something strange happens and you have to be able to handle uncertainty. I was a risk manager before I was a teacher, so I can handle that level of uncertainty, you know, you'd get a call in the middle of the night and one of your apartment complexes, we call them communities though, mm-hmm. uh, was on fire and you'd have to figure out how to, you know, make every fall into place. But all the other stuff was planned. We just didn't know when this other strange thing was going to happen. And I think that is, for me, the only way that you can handle uncertainty is you you don't know when weird stuff is going to happen. My water softener exploded the other day while it was in the summer I think or in September and water was spewing everywhere and my son was like I can't believe how calm you were I was super impressed that I figured out how to shut the water off that I knew how to shut that's the the, that's panicking when you're like where's the water turn off right right (laughs) right because I had something else happen where water was spewed because water can be very scary yeah for sure loud and it was just spewing everywhere in a different thing that I had happen and you know, fortunately I knew just enough to be able to handle that in the moment and then be able to call the people that I needed in order to make it happen. And so I think that's one of the things that's really important. One of the things we're really trying to do with mine is to create that community where you have somebody that you can go to. Mm -hmm. And the problem too, for many teachers is they don't ever want to admit they don't know something or they're not good at something, or they can't figure something out. And so you may, as an educator, feel uncomfortable talking to your colleagues, especially if you're a relatively new teacher and they've been there a million years and it, and they act like everything's super simple and old hat. Mm-hmm. It may be hard, especially the way the evaluation system is set up now, to be able to go and say, I'm really struggling with being switched from fourth grade to first grade. I don't even know what to do. And so we're hoping that this network is able to build up to be strong enough to be able to help you through those things that are challenging for you. Mm -hmm. So if you're an uncertainty person and you love it, 
then we may send everybody to you Yes. to say, how do you navigate that? Because, oh my goodness, I want to be in the fetal position. Well, and that's, as you were talking, I was like, man, that uncertainty person are those really good problem solvers for the most part. Like when it arises again, there are those people that are most likely pretty calm. They're like, it's okay. These things happen. How are we going to handle this? And so often I think of circumstances that I am that person and then I'm not that person. And, um, it kind of just makes me laugh because I think of just personal experiences. I'm like, man, I probably just added so much more stress to that situation. Mm -hmm. And then I just think to who are my people that I would go to, you know, in a bit of chaos and things of sorts like that. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely feel like those uncertainty folks are maybe those problem solvers that can just really think on their feet super quickly and so many, again, so many educators are those people and not even realizing they are because we have to do that how many times a day, right? You no. Know? So, because right. I can remember um, a couple of things about uncertainty. First of all, I tend to do better with uncertainty that the uncertainty is somebody else's. I can problem solve all, yeah. stuff all of the time yeah. when, it, when I don't have the emotion to it, you know, so if, for example, that water softener thing blows and money, you know, at the back of my mind, I'm already thinking, how much is this going to cost? When am I going to be able to get the person out here to do it? You're hearing all these stories about there's not enough workers, blah, 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 mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Um, but if it was somebody else's, I could say, well, you could do this, or you could do that, or here's right. an option or whatever. So I do tend to do that a little bit better. But I think that the there is a lot of uncertainty. And the other one that I always think about is, technology. Mm. You know, how good, one of the things that people struggled with in COVID was um, they didn't, they had not sort of updated their, their technology skills, especially older teachers. My son had that experience when he was student teaching where he ended up teaching the entire year, even though he didn't have to, because his, what we would have called cooperating teachers, they now call mentor teachers, but his mentor teacher didn't understand any technology. And so she couldn't figure out how to deliver the curriculum in a different way. It was a first grade classroom. And I was a high school teacher. And so I was very fortunate as a high school teacher that often my students knew a lot more than I did, which also can be an uncertainty issue that people struggle with. I don't want the kids to know more than I do. I love that the kids knew different things than I do and knew Mm -hmm. more than I did about certain stuff. And so I literally would call out tech support And I had this girl in the class who knew technology and would be able to go and fix the PowerPoint or fix the connection so that it would project or all of those things. So just figuring out who should go to is sometimes all you need. That perfectly lends itself to the next one in significance in the sense that um, it says those who seek out significance have a need to feel unique and important. They want to matter, to be seen and to feel like they work. The work they do matters. And I remember thinking this with, uh, during, while COVID was going on and so many early career educators found themselves finding a role, like not that it wasn't stressful or anything, but they were very significant in the sense that so many of them became the professional on that go-to technology or creating a certain curriculum or a piece of content. And it lended themselves to the, to, you know, veteran teachers looking to them and becoming a significant part of their school community. Um, though stressful again, but I think so many of us still look for that when we're in the classroom and I guess our everyday life too. Um, but I just, that stuck out to me. And I remember that being a key thing because I was like the go-to help for so many people in my, my district. And we more experienced educators tend to, I, I, maybe part of it is that they're constantly being told what to do, mm-hmm. but they really struggle sometimes. Some places they really struggle with giving early career educators and student teachers and all of those other people the avenue to have their their ideas valued. Maybe the way we've been doing it for 20 years is not the most effective way. Maybe there is this other way, but often early career educators will feel dismissed yes. by those veteran teachers. And mm-hmm. especially if you come from a school or a department where it's large enough and most of the people are experienced, you may, like me, not want to have spoken up 
in the yeah. very early days when you're still trying to gain your own footing and your own confidence. Well, I think that was a beautiful result of what mine has turned into. I mean, it's not just for early career educators. I mean, on this last book study that we had, we had 17 educators that were what I think 16 plus years of service on this book study. And I think it's just created this sense of community where everyone had this sense of feeling new and unknown and realizing that you are going to learn something from anyone, no matter where they're at in their profession, in their professional journey, you know? And I think that was a cool thing that became, that came out of it. And, um, hopefully is one of those things that can, mine is bringing to the table that allows them to see value and what they can bring to the field of education and why they should stay. Right. So, right. And especially with the book studies, because they're virtual, we're going to plug the book studies here for a second. Yeah. Um, because they're virtual, you end up being with people who are not in your district and, or not in your school at least. And they, it's, in a lot of ways, very freeing to be able to share things and to learn things and to yeah. say, I don't really know that, you know, 99% of your job as a teacher, you are the expert and pe your, your students at least look to you as that expert. And that's a, that's a big mantle to hold. And it's really, really tough. And it, and teaching is also one of the only professional jobs where you are expected the first day that you are the teacher of record to be great and yeah. perfect and an expert you know doctors don't do that lawyers don't do that plumbers don't do that electricians mm -hmm. don't do that you are expected to be basically perfect day one yep and nobody's perfect so I struggle with I struggle with that you know the more that's put on you and the more you sort of take that as your personal responsibility the harder the job is mm -hmm. it's much much easier if you let your kids see that you're human yeah. And then you don't, you're not a walking encyclopedia. You don't know everything, Yeah, but you know how to find it. Yep. Or if you don't know how to find it, you say, I can get back to you on that. Let's figure out how we can research it and use it as a learning opportunity. I think the more people walk around thinking they're experts on everything or anything, the more hubris and the more narcissistic they become and then they're standing on my television talking about why I should vote a certain way because they're the ones who are the experts and stuff Thank right you. well like they said you can't BS to BS or <laughs> but you know everyone picks up on that disingenuous in yeah. thank you I, I know what I was trying to say anymore if you're authentic and all of those things mm -hmm. and I mean it's it is what it is. And again, bringing us the beautiful next one, which is belonging. Mm -hmm. And that so naturally lends itself to it. And it says that humans are driven to seek social acceptance through fitting in and our brains rewards, uh, circuitry reinforces this by relapsing the happiness hormone hormone dopamine. When we do true belonging doesn't require you to change. Who you are, it requires you to be who you are. So I think Again, being authentic and bringing yourself, what, what do you have to offer to the table and knowing where you're fall, where you're falling short, but then also belonging is my number one. I had that one start because I've always feel when I can't connect with the people that I'm with, I feel lost. I feel alone, um, unsupported, unwanted. And that's very, very hard for me because I've always just been a people pleaser too. Mm -hmm. And when I don't feel I have a place to fit in, I I'm lost and I, I strive for this so much. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people do in, in the field of education, it's very difficult because we've talked about it on previous uh, podcasts, how sometimes clicky, mm -hmm. you know, teaching can be and how intimidating right. that is. Right. And the smaller the staff, the more intimidating that can become. You know, yeah. I was fortunate that I taught in a building where there were a hundred teachers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to like everybody and they didn't all have to like me and everybody could find something. Right. But I have that sort of aversion to mean girls, love the movie, but I have an aversion to that kind of behavior. So if I'm at say an event, I make sure everybody has somebody to sit with or somebody to have lunch with. And right. some places that you work are better at that than other places that you work. And that is really hard. 
right. really a, a challenge, even for somebody like me who doesn't necessarily feel that that's a really important part most of the time there are just always those times mm -hmm. where you want to not be the one who walks into the room and nobody makes room at their table right or you're at an event that's an overnight event or everybody's going to have everybody's going to be on their own for dinner and you don't get a dinner invitation right or a lunch invitation that's rough yeah I'm literally, feel, I, I I can't do that. I feel bad for myself when I've been that person, you know, it just, I feel, you feel so again, isolated, right. And you're sitting at a table by yourself and I don't know, I just, and I, I'm a people person. I have to have conversation. Like if you're sitting next to me, I'm going to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but it just, it stresses me out. It adds a level of uncomfortability for me where I can't get past, um, and I think part of it is that we work so, most of us work so hard with our students to make sure that they feel as if they belong and they're important. And even mm -hmm. if they don't fit in outside of your classroom, how are you going to make them fit in inside your class? And that was one of the things that brought me the most joy is how, you know, and especially with AP, but with all English classes at the secondary level, I think that students share because you're having a discussion, they share a level of themselves that they don't in some of the other mm -hmm. curriculum or some of the other courses. And so it was always such a joy for me to see, especially with my seniors, how they developed relationships with each other and were there to support each other. And normally that would be the kind of class where it's pretty competitive and they don't necessarily want somebody else to be quote unquote better than they are, but it wasn't about that. It's about who's going to be a great person at the end of the day. And I would always say to them, look, I will not remember what grade you got in my class. I will not. I will only remember how you made me feel and how you made everybody else feel. Yep. And I have a student now who's a doctor, like a medical doctor. And he, uh, I forgot, it was on Facebook, but he responded on Facebook saying that he thinks about my class often because it was a, a place where everybody felt welcome and he really got to learn about people who were very different than he was in his upbringing. And my son had, has always said to me, I don't think you would have done well in a school where the kids were all very similar. You needed the different ethnic backgrounds, the different religious backgrounds, the different socioeconomic statuses, the different races, all of that. And I said, yes, because if I'm not going to learn something, I'm going to struggle. Mm -hmm. And But that difference was our strength. Right. And they all felt that they belonged. Right. Because that's what I wanted. I wanted right. them to belong. And I would even say to them, to all my students, you know, if you're having a great time in high school, great. Mm -hmm. This is not the be all end all. Right. Absolutely. And I think in going back to talking about, you know, your place as an educator within your school community, um, at the end of it, she says, feeling a sense of true belonging also allows us to make our voices heard during distressful staff meetings, allowing ourselves more with an inner sense of integrity that the worry of not, um, then the worry of not fitting in. And I think that's because as educators, we need a place to vent. We need somebody we feel comfortable with, safe with. And in my first year, I don't really think I had that my first year. Like, yeah, I had people I could talk with and help guide me through it. But my second year is when I really found you know, really leaned into my co-teacher and she became my person that I was able to have those conversations with. And she was the person that I felt safe that I could talk about. That was a really shitty staff meeting. I don't understand why would we waste our time and, you know, whatever, where I felt like I could have those off the record conversations that we also badly need to have. And I knew I had a place to sit all the time and where I could send a kid if I needed a minute or someone who could come watch my classroom if I needed a minute, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, those are the things that got, that allowed me to continue my, allowed me to continue as a teacher, because if I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have survived my first, well, my second year. Like I said, I triumphed through that first year. That first year was a miracle. I don't know how, but the second year it, it, I was there because of her, you know, and I knew she was still there because of me. So and I think so. that's a really important point, though, that you are not going to necessarily, I don't understand why, but some administrators are very cool with 
creating the animosity and some districts don't like the union because they don't like the fact that it's one voice coming at them and the mm -hmm. strength of everybody behind that one voice coming at them. And so they, they do try to create animosity and try to try to not have people have this sense of safety. But the yeah. beauty of being an educator is we're smarter than a lot of people. And so we can figure out how to make that sense of belonging happen for everybody. And the truth is, we don't have to like each other personally, necessarily, but we're all in this for the kids. And so yeah. it is so important to be able to create relationships with each yeah. other. And there is nobody who understands what teaching is and the stress of teaching besides teachers, which is why when you are out to dinner with your teacher friends and you made a vow, be a vow before you walked into the restaurant that you were not going to talk about school, <laughs> that 10 seconds in- You're talking, about, talking school. about school. <laughs> Good, bad, and ugly, all of the stuff. About right. Because there's that shared camaraderie and that shared sense of belonging, which is really important to all of us. We're social creatures which is why I think it's so hard when I see things like elementary school recesses being cut or yeah. kids or teachers who make mistakes about how they put kids in groups and having kids, you know, not feel like they fit in. And, you know, I go back to the nightmare of being in elementary school and I don't even know if this really happened, but I see it on TV. So I think it might've happened in ours too, but like picking teams. Yeah. Who was picked last and all of those things, they give you this lack of a sense of being part of the community. Right. Absolutely. Nothing matters more. Nope. Nope. It's the relationships. I mean, you know, the, the thing is about both belonging and the sense of significance. I personally believe based on just my own life experience that one of the reasons that teachers are so under attack is because many people have jobs that don't matter. Mm -hmm. It don't make a difference. Like I, yes, okay, so I make widgets or I push papers or I, you know, add columns of numbers all day long. Does that really matter? Mm -hmm. No, not in the way that shaping the next generation and creating cre and, you know, encouraging the creativity of our students so that they can solve the world's problems and they can be better people and they can make the world a better place because it needs to be better right now. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the reasons that I think our profession comes under attack from other professions that don't matter. Now, my sister has said that multiple times. So she's in foster care and adoption. And obviously I was a teacher and she said, we have jobs that matter. She's like, we have jobs that matter every single day. We don't get to show up and half-ass our jobs because we have jobs that so many other people are depending on us to do a good job every single damn day. She's mm -hmm. like, where she was talking about one of our other friends who was a supervisor of something. Underwater basket. You know, she's like, she could do that job anywhere at any time and do it. And it, she's like, there's nothing unique there's nothing special about it and she had said that to me and you know and I don't mean to diminish anything that anyone else does but it's just that that constant stress that you have to show up and be ready to go and all the time all the time you don't get to have a bad day which is the hard thing about where we what we do mm -hmm. so right and so that that is why all of these things like belonging in particular really really matter yeah. And one of the things that I think is challenging about teaching is that even though you're around people all day, they're children. Yeah. So it's even more important for you to have those adult relationships. And so one of the things I implore all of you to do after you listen to this is reach out to somebody that you work with and plan a day that you can go grab a cup of coffee mm -hmm. or in my case, a Slurpee or you know, do lunch or just check in at night. Hey, thinking about you. Hope you have a great night. Yeah. Talking about stuff that isn't related to school sometimes, just really building those relationships that are still important. I've been out of the classroom for three years now. I'm having dinner with my crew on Friday. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and it's just really important to keep those relationships going and to feel that sense of belonging so that you don't because I'm an introvert so I it would be really easy for me to just go inside myself and ignore the whole world all of the time but that's not healthy 
Yeah. And we know it's not healthy. There was another thing that they invited us to, invited me and a bunch of our friends to that was next Friday, not this Friday, but next Friday. And I literally sat on the text all day long debating whether or not I wanted to do it. Right. And it has nothing to do. I love this group of people. Just going out. The activity seems great, but I have to push myself sometimes Mm -hmm. to make sure that I keep those relationships going and that I keep that sense of belonging because I don't necessarily, I work really alone a lot of times in my job now. So it's really kind of hard to make sure that I, or to feel that sense of belonging. I don't do a job that other people do. They don't really know exactly what I do. So it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my person that got me through my teaching career, she now lives a block and a half away from me. She's my go-to. She's watching my son when I go into labor and she's also the person taking me to the hospital. If Cody's not the person that is able to get me there, if I can't get there myself or whatever, I mean, she's just my best friend and confidant now. And I don't know how I would do life without her now outside of the classroom. So Mm -hmm. it just, our lives have become so intertwined, but again, it's all started because again, we were so professionally intertwined and we so badly need each other to get each other through the day. Right. So, yeah. And the other thing too, for belonging, and this is just my own thing. This might mean not what everybody else struggles with, but I am really sensitive to other people's moods and attitudes. Oh yeah. And so I had to, I could not go into the English office because the negativity in there, it was easy for me to jump in and also be negative. Yeah. And so I stopped. I said, I, I'm not going to do this. I was fortunate that I was able to move my room across the school and be in the CTE wing where the CTE teachers are much more laid back and not as ridiculous. And, you know, an English teacher in a lot of ways is the worst in that it's their way and their books and blah, 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 you know, so and everybody else is like much more laid back and I am sensitive to that. So if you are in a group that you feel is bringing you down, you don't have to stay with them. You can find other teachers, other friends. Like I am probably one of the few of the English teachers when I was there who had friends in every department. Mm-hmm. Most of the English teachers, it was just the English teachers and maybe the world language teachers, but the shared whiners mm-hmm. were like friends with themselves. So expand birds of a feather, right. And expand, you know, if you're an English teacher and you don't really like your English teacher partners, that doesn't mean you can't be friends with the science teachers or the the math teachers or whatever. They all are teachers and they get the same things that you get, not in the same way, but you've got to find that group. That's going to be supportive to you. Yeah. Whoever they are. Yeah. You should go back to and listen to the, um, what was the one? The marigolds. Marigolds. I knew it was a flower. The walnut trees and the marigolds. Right. (laughs) Which was one of our first episodes that really kind of hones in on this idea of belonging. And yes, it's nice to belong in a big group, but all you really need is at least one other person. Yep. It's all about quality, not quantity. Mm -hmm. Um, And then going to the fifth, uh, number five of six, as we talk about growth and in talking about how we all just need, but we have this innate ability to want to keep learning and creating and working hard to gain mastery over curriculum and find new innovative ways to connect with our students. I, I, it's silly to say that not all of us have that with have that within us. I mean, that was one of the other ones I starred, but then I, as we talk more about all of them, I'm like, man, I don't know which one even though I said I fall on them all in a gamut of sorts, but we, we're just natural learners. We do that. I mean, and even if we weren't, we're forced to be because the state tells us we have to have however many hours and credits and degrees and things of sorts. But the beauty is, again, is so many of us are, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast, are just reflective. And that's how we know we will get better. And we just continue to want to do better. And what can I do to better this part that I feel like I fell short on last year or last week or in that lesson? You know, it's just what we do. The beauty of our job, though, is the idea that every year you can recreate yourself. Yep. So if that didn't work last year, that's okay. Yep. I, you know, one of the things that I always thought was was challenging about, I mean, there's so many things that are challenging about elementary school from a high school teacher's perspective, but 
one of the things that is a benefit to a high school teacher is when you have that class in multiple sections. So first hour, I give the instructions. We do the thing. The kids ask 450,000 questions. Guess what? Second hour, when I re-explain it, I already know where their, where their misunderstanding is or where I fell down in my instruction. So first hour got shafted always. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Right. Except, except it, they always took longer then. Good thing there was extra time uh-huh. added to the end of it for morning announcements. But, you know, I, I knew that I, you know, you're never going to be perfect the first no, of course. Through, but so you got to have that strong first hour who's willing to ask you questions or say, eh, that's not going to work like that. Right. Or, you know, we need to do it a different way or whatever. But that is the thing that I think is really important is that it, even if you're having a rough year, if this is your first year and it's a rough year, I don't know very many people who aren't liars who said that their first year was perfect and great. Never. Nope. Every year. <laughs> is, I mean, I, I loved my second year compared to my first year. But what's interesting is if you talk to the kids from your first year, they're still cool with it. They were like, oh, yeah, the class was fine. They wouldn't. They didn't even know. No, it's yeah. so much hard. You're so much harder on yourself. Oh, yeah. It goes back to the reflective part. You're so oh, much yeah. harder on yourself. No, but I just... such, Yeah, I'm such a dork, though, that I still, there's a private Facebook group that is advanced, the, the English literature class that I taught, the advanced placement one. They are such a great group, which is where I would love us to get to in some, at some point. But somebody will literally post, I'm teaching this book and I need some ideas about um, poetry that goes with it. And then there are 500 people who recommend stuff or second what somebody else recommended. And the other thing that I'm seeing too that I love to see on that page is people will say, I have a parent challenging this book. This is a new thing, right? I have a parent challenging this book. I need some other suggestions and or I need to know how how to, you know, push back against this. Um, and to have that that community and that belonging is awesome. But the reason I brought the group up is because even three years out of the classroom, I'm still fascinated and read through the lesson plan ideas and stuff because I love it. I just, that is one of the things that I miss. Well, and I think that's why mine is one of those communities that are so badly needed because of that exact thing. I mean, and just a few things to touch on. I mean, we have focus areas of the month where you can submit questions that you might not feel comfortable asking someone within your building because you have that that uncertainty of feeling like you don't know what's going on. And which, again, ask those questions. There are people that are going to be there willing to help you. But still, if you don't feel like doing that within your building there, we mine is here. That's why we've created that because there's not always that community that space that you felt really early on in your in your school that you're at or your office or wherever whatever your role may be within your building and I think this is just allows you to continue to grow but feel safe in doing so um because so that is lacking so often in years one and two so which is one of the things to plug the union again is so important about the union is yep. that they are a safe place for you yep. to ask these questions. You know, the first couple of topics, I'm telling you 20 years in, I was still asking my friends about behavior challenges or, or, you know, when I would have a struggle with a student, I would still go to them and say, Hey, I'm not sure exactly how to handle this. What are your yep. thoughts? The yep. minute I always say that the minute you think you've got all the answers is the minute it's time to leave the classroom. Absolutely. You're not effective. You're not growing anymore. Absolutely. The, and then the other big, so behavior issues is a big thing that mind folks can discuss and we can brainstorm together. You know, kids are unique and individuals and all of those things. And so what might work today might not work tomorrow with the same kid. Mm -hmm. or what worked with one kid. I mean, anybody who's got more than one child as a parent knows they're not the same. And then the other one that I think is a really big category that we need more support in is special education issues when you're a gen ed teacher, because I think the statistic is 80% of special ed students spend 80% of their time in a gen ed classroom. And most of us were just not trained in college about how, about all the special ed issues and when stuff changes, we might not even realize what changed. Mm -hmm. And depending on how supportive and how 
available your special ed department is, you may have some really specific questions or some even generic questions that you don't want to ask right. and you don't want to feel judged or you want you don't want to feel dumb or, you know, whatever. Well, I remember in my first couple of years, my principal had told me, use your toolbox. What toolbox? I don't have mm -hmm. a toolbox. I'm building my toolbox. I mean, as we always were, but the fact is I'm asking for support because I need support. Right. And when we're, when there's someone unwilling to give it again, that's when I so badly was like, I wish I would have had a place like mine in my first year of teaching, because I would have been asking those questions when I got a reply like that, use your toolbox. This right. is my first year. What the hell are you talking about? Well, this is a person who doesn't have a ton of experience in the classroom, clearly. Seriously. I just remember being so frustrated and, and walking away crying because I'm like, I know what, you right. know, and that's when I, you just figured it out. We, I started having more conversations and I, you know, mm -hmm. is what it is. Right. So. I struggled the, but I, I've restarted um, Abbott Elementary. So I didn't oh, watch like I the very, the very first episode bothered me because I thought, oh, it was so good and it was so real that the average person watching it who's not associated with education and certainly not associated with education in a Title I school or any school that's economically challenged is going to think this is hyperbolic and these things don't really, really happen, mm -hmm. even though we all know that they do. Um, but just to see a lot of these real issues that you face every single day. Now, obviously in elementary school, it's a little bit different than in high school, but it's not that different because they're all students and they're all educators and they're all trying to navigate their way. And so the principal is a, an hysterical character. She really is funny as a character, but yet she does a lot of the stuff that has been annoying to educators forever. I need to watch it. I've had multiple people tell me I need yes, to watch it. It's very, very good. There's a there's a scene in the very first episode that really made me think of belonging, mm -hmm. where um the brand new teacher who's super excited and you know really energetic and adorable and all of those things is the principal calls a staff meeting. I think it was at lunchtime cause a staff meeting. So they all go. So you've got the, you know, the veteran teachers and the new teachers. And at some point in the staff meeting, and somebody's going to be yelling in their, at their podcast, you know, out there in the, in their car or wherever they are when I mess this up. But basically she says something to the effect of that, sh that it's time for everybody to publicly shame this new teacher. And the veteran teachers are like, we're out and they all get up and they tell her she's got to get up and they walk out because they're it. not going to play this game. Love it. And so, you know, even though sometimes they'll make fun of her because she's got that, you know, brand new teacher energy and they're like, oh, you know, you need to calm it down a little bit, whatever. But it's fun because it's, it's really got a lot of the dynamics that do go on every single day in schools across the country. Oh, that's good to know because mm -hmm. I need, yeah, like I said, I had all my friends that are in the classroom are like, have you watched Abbott Elementary? Have you watched it? But again, I don't even know when I have time to watch series anymore. So yeah. <laughs> but it's only a half but, hour. So it's a fun little, you know, and I, if I remember correctly, I think it is something that your child could be around because it's, oh, good. Okay. It's on early enough that they don't do obnoxious things. The ones I've seen, I've only seen a few episodes. Okay. But. Well, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the last more. Yep. And it's contribution. So in speaking about how we enter the profession out of a desire to make a positive impact on the world around them. And I mean, I think that obviously speaks to itself. That's a number one thing for so many of us when we do this. Um, and unfortunately, I think that's also the caveat in the sense that people use that against us in the sense that we got into this because we love children and we want to, you know, make the world a better place, but we're also professionals. And I think that is our double-edged sword that you, we always say it's for the kids, it's for the kids, it's for the kids, but we have to realize this is also our career and our profession that takes care of ourselves. And we have to take care of ourselves when it's taking too much away from that. Right. Um, I get, I get kind of bent out of shape when, 
the universities will will pitch that idea that you're there for the kids and you're going to sacrifice for the kids. And yes, those things are true. Don't get into the profession if you don't love kids, because that is that'll burn you out faster than anything else. But it also burn you out when you have that compassion fatigue. If you've got really high need kids all of the time, that's hard. And I think that you know, to imply that these kids are more important than your own kids or your own family is ridiculous. You need to make sure that you figure out how to draw those, those lines in the sand, that boundary and be able to protect yourself. And then the second part of her description is the part that I love the most that we are the, the most bad at, which is that we have to extend that same compassion to ourselves and that same grace to ourselves. I can't tell you how many teachers get so down on themselves when something doesn't go well or they, or a a kid has a bad outcome or whatever. That's what makes you a great teacher, but that is also the thing that can destroy you emotionally. And as Danielle said earlier, you cannot pour from an empty cup. Yep. Well, in, the, in speaking to what our next podcast is going to be about, she talks about being reflective. And we obviously have talked about that and how important that is. And she says, if we don't intentionally drown out the figurative noises in our lives and get quiet, it's difficult to get to the root of what our feelings are trying to tell us about ourselves and our internal state. So in all of this and everything, those six emotional states talking about, yes, how we can bring this to the classroom, but again, how you can reflectively look at and bring out the best of yourself and work on how do I communicate and work well with others, just as Annette had said in the beginning and identifying these things. Um, this could actually be a great opportunity. You know, this is an easy checklist, you know, to give at the very first staff meeting and figuring out who prioritizes what and how we work, how we're going to work best moving forward together to like hammer out this next school year or doing it after Christmas or the holidays. I'm sorry. So yeah, it's that's Danielle, the optimist thinking that at a staff meeting, you're going to do something that's super benefit. That might be the thing you do at the, at lunch during those back to school days or at the bar after, whichever. That's true. Very true. But we really, I, and I'm not always good at it, but the, the thing to remember is that you are, it's, it's that that old adage about when you're on a plane that's going down and the oxygen masks pop out that you have to put it on yourself first because you can't save anybody else if you don't save yourself. And you get to figure out what it is that makes you re-energized and makes you feel good and makes you realize how important you are. And whether that is something like, you know, you like to listen to, um, murder podcasts, or you want to plan your summer planting around. I do this all the time. It's snowing out and I'm figuring out what plants I'm going to plant when the spring comes, whatever it is that makes you feel better about yourself and feel re-energized and able to go back the next day or the next year and be of service to yourself, your family, and your students, then that's what you do. We would hope that it's not something super destructive like drinking, but a glass of wine here or there isn't going to hurt if that's Amen. (laughs) whatever it takes for you to be able to compartmentalize and say, Yes, this I am a teacher. That's a mo, it's such an incredibly important job. It's such an incredible responsibility. But at the same time, it's my job. Yeah. And I still matter. Yep. Absolutely. And don't let people tell you that, well, you, you know, you can't take, you don't need, you don't deserve a lot of money or you don't need a lot of money. Didn't you do this for the kids? Yeah. Including my own. Right. Exactly. And that will always be what frustrates me to no end. To no end. <sighs> gives me, it still gives me the chills, makes me angry. And if someone ever says that to me ever again, though I'm not in the classroom, that is something I'm going to fight tooth and nail about. And I'm, I'm finally at that point where I feel like I can raise my voice and like get angry. You know, it took me a while to find it. And I did, I, like I said, it took me until year three where I felt brave enough. You know, mm-hmm. we're not telling you to go in there with your fist blazing and things of sorts like that, but where I finally felt like I, I could say something and it would mattered, you know, and it needed to be said. So 
And here's the thing. If you don't feel like you've got that voice, but there is somebody who has that voice, go talk to that person. Absolutely. Yep. And that might be your building rep or your local president or your Uniserve staff, whoever it is. If you don't feel like you have the strength to go out and do that yourself, I get that. That is tough. Mm -hmm. But somebody does. Somebody has the ear of the people that need to hear the thing you're trying to say. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as always, thank you for listening to us, whether it be in the car or on your lunch break or wherever it may be. Um, But we always would love if you go and like Michigan New Educators on Facebook, Instagram. Um, We're on all of the podcasts. So, you know, yeah, and and like it and subscribe. We're probably not going to be as we're going to try to have one a month Mm -hmm. as opposed to some podcasts where they're able to do it every week this is only part of our job so (laughs) it's going to be hard but if you've got some topics that you think you would like for us to discuss if you've got something you would like to share with other people we're more than welcoming guests you know because you don't want to necessarily just hear Danielle and I because we could go on and on and on about stuff absolutely and yeah let us know what you want to hear if you do want to hear us right you know go on and on and on (laughs) so thanks for joining us and everyone have a wonderful day and until next time bye